Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is our second to last bonus episode for The Smiths. This one is with Dan Gable, the one, the only, 15 national titles as the head coach at Iowa, Olympic gold medalist, two-time NCAA champ, you know the resume. This episode was recorded back in August at Dan Gable's home in Iowa City, Iowa, and we talk John Smith, Leroy Smith, Pat Smith, Mark Smith. This was exclusively recorded for the Smiths, and I hope you enjoy it, folks. Peace! Iconic wrestling coach Dan Gable once said, Pain is nothing compared to what it feels like to quit. Give everything you've got today, for tomorrow may never come. Gable could be describing those whose achievements have earned them the honor of being inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. Etched in Stone, the stories of wrestling's legends will take you inside the lives of over 200 of the greatest wrestlers in history as they share their never-before-told stories about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs. Competitors, coaches, teammates, and those who knew these athletes best will also weigh in on their accomplishments with their own unique perspectives. Before we get going, just introduce yourself to the listeners so we know who we're hearing from here. Yeah, uh, name is uh, Dan Gable, and uh, uh, wrestling is my life, and uh, I'm sure that there's been a few changes in my life because of that sport as well, but uh, champion wrestler and champion coach and love the promotion of the sport. Amen. Now, when did you first meet the Smith family, Coach Gable? Ooh. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly. I just might, I'm going to recall my first interactions. Okay. And it was probably back in early 80s and probably saw Leroy, I think, in the uh, AD NCAA championships. I believe that's the year he might have won. He beat, I think, maybe, I don't know if he beat Metzger or something, but... Uh, it was out west coast, so I, you know, I I picked up on, on uh, Leroy at that particular time, and I, and that was probably the only Smith that I w- I picked up on because he was the oldest, mm-hmm. and uh, I, he might have beaten my kid. I'm not sure Zaleski Lenny, but uh, or Metzger might have, but uh, but I think Lenny. I mean, I think Lenny and Smith might have wrestled back then in 1980. That was uh, quite a year for me because I almost had a new guy at every weight class, and we ended up walk, pretty much walking away with the title, but I was a little hesitant going into it, and um, that's probably where I first uh, watched him, and, and, and I remember he, uh, Leroy uh, impressing me, how he, uh, how he was able to didn't dominate, but he controlled the match against, uh, you know, some guys that were really good, mm-hmm. like Lenny and like Andre Metzger, and and so that probably opened my eyes right away. But I didn't know that they what they had to come yet. Right. <laughs> you know, I just Leroy. But then, you know, as Leroy continued his wrestling, he was go- going internationally, and and my really first experience with him 
was when he made the world team, I believe, in 1983. This is the one that I'm recalling uh, because I was the head coach. I think we went to Kiev, maybe. And, I mean, he, he made it all the way to the finals against a Russian and lost the final match against the Russian. But uh, first time, I believe, in the Worlds and getting a silver medal, I know it probably wasn't, you know, John wouldn't be happy with that, but, but uh, you know, really not being a guy that wrestled internationally before and you take him all the way over to the, where the, where the Russians would dominate. And uh, he, I was very impressed. But I do remember a lot about Leroy because every day the coach had to follow him around a little bit. Uh, by that, I mean he was like always leaving something somewhere. You know, he would like, if he go to the cafeteria or something, if we were training somewhere, and if he, if he put something down, that was going to be there. And so I had to kind of follow him around. And at the end of the day, I would give him his things back. So, you know, it's like after practice, I'd always scoured the, uh, the wrestling room, and I, the train, not, not the training room, but the locker room, and I'd find things. And uh, every day you, you'd find something Leroy had left around, you know. So I always picked him up and then put him in my locker. Or if he was still there, I would make sure he put it in his locker. You know, he just needed a little attention. Uh, he, I, I'm pretty sure he was focused on not that. Mm -hmm. He was focused on, on you know, being a, a great wrestler. And, uh, you know, so I really enjoyed uh, Leroy and, and, and uh, coaching him, though. And, and so, you know, that's what really made for a hard, uh, hard work for me, not knowing all the Smiths, just knowing Leroy. And then in 84, when they had the court battle and they had all the protests, which, wow, it's funny, we have all, we're having all the protests now and I don't like protests now, I don't like protests then. So, uh, thank God they don't have any anymore. They figured out how to, solve things mat side instead of later in court and stuff like that, or at least 99% of it. So, you know, that, yeah, it's, it was um, a major um, uh, mark in my life that uh, I didn't like. Uh, before, but, we, before we get to that, because we're going to get to that, let's talk about 84 season. So we just watched uh, John Smith wrestling Mark Trezino. That season you were the Team USA coach, so Jay Rob was... Jay Robinson. Yeah. Jay Robinson was running the day-to-day. -day. So I interviewed Mark Perry about this, Mark Perry uh, Sr. Uh, this is his take on what happened at the dual meet. And then I, I'd love to hear you just kind of fill us in on Now, which Mark Perry? Sr. Okay. So he was wrestling in the duel that night. Okay. okay. So this is what he has to say about it. They showed up and they had cut those three guys down. We didn't know until they got there what they did. You know, and I think that that's where, you know, they were trying to figure out a way to win. Um, because they weren't wrestling very well. And Gable was, you know, they said Gable wasn't coaching. I'm not buying it. You know, because even though these coaches are coaching World Olympic teams, they're still coaching their programs. That's it? What do you think, Coach? Yeah. Uh, so what, what happened? I, 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 you know, set the scene. Yeah, for that so, night. So, so that night, I, I'm in Russia, and I, I, I'm over there probably at the Tbilisi tournament. It was. With Leroy, actually. 
Are you kidding me? Yeah. He's like, yeah, Gable and I flew back from Tbilisi early to see that duel. Oh, my gosh. A lot of the team stayed over there, but you guys well, came back for that they one. They probably had another duel. Right. Yeah. So you guys fly into Stillwater together, actually. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I wonder how we did in Tbilisi. But anyway, anyway, um, so, yeah, I get there, and I, don't, I think I don't get there too early. So I, I do get there in time to be in the locker room right before. And uh, I had pretty much given the team to Jay, not full time, you know, when I was gone. And I was gone, I was hoping to be gone quite a bit because that, in those days you needed to, uh, you know, you needed to work with the guys that you wanted to win the Olympic Games and, uh, you know, have a good opportunity to, uh, to beat the Russians because I was... <sighs> dead set, you know, on um, making sure no matter who showed up that, you know, the guys were going to dominate because I was upset from 80 because I was the coach in 80 to go to Russia and the United States didn't get to go. And I had a team I felt was going to go over and beat them right in their home crowd. And, you know, so that, you know, people forget about the coach's aspirations as much as, well, you know, Lee Kemp didn't get to go. He didn't get to win the gold medal. That was, you know, but, you know, I wanted to win that team championship as a, as a, uh, as a coach. And, and so, you know, here's another opportunity. Now we're going to have it in the United States. And then most, most of the, the communist countries didn't, uh, didn't, didn't come. So it really hurt. But so we're going back to this night. You know, I, I probably have loopy just flying on the plane and I was ready for a, a good match and hoping that it would be okay but I just uh, I, I right before my own eyes I couldn't believe the number of things that happened and you know and I'm not going to recall every one of them but it came right down to like the last match I mean it's like I mean it's like you go out of bounds the place is up for grabs because they've just had great matches at every weight class. And I can only recall maybe Jim and Jimmy Zaleski winning or tying or something. And that might be some of our only points. But everything just fell their, their way. I should, I should know that because I've probably been in that situation at, at Carver or the Fieldhouse before. But, I, but you know, I'm flying in and, and I'm watching this. And, I, and the icing on the cake for me was when our heavyweight went out of bounds, which he didn't go out of bounds, but he thought he went out of bounds. And, I, and I'm gonna give him the, some credit, our heavyweight, because the place was yelling, screaming. He probably, he probably didn't hear the whistle, or he did hear the whistle, but it wasn't a whistle. Mm -hmm. It probably was a whistle from the crowd or something. But he, when he one time he went out of bounds early in the match, turned around, and walked back to the center with the guy right behind him, and they hadn't blown the whistle. So the guy tackles him from behind. That was it right there. I mean, that was the heavyweight match in the last match of the meet. But I knew right then that's, that, you know, I said, something's got to change. And I think it was just that atmosphere that did it after nine straight matches of crazy stuff like we, like, like we, John Smith wouldn't run a, on a shuck with five seconds to go. I mean, I don't know what our guy's doing pushing into him. Should have been circling five seconds. But 
but that's just the way it goes. So that right there made me realize that I can't afford to just focus on coaching the, the Olympic team that year, that I'm going to have to help Coach Robinson get these guys back. And the perception of me coming back to Iowa and focusing on them guys, that's going to, I'm not going to say scare, but I'm saying that's going to bring up everybody's like fear of we want to beat these guys, but now they got Gable back. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And uh, so, and I didn't waste a second. We had a, we had a, a team meeting that night right in the locker room. And I think if I remember right, the, the janitor or the, the custodian kept coming and knocking, hey, you guys about ready to get out of there? Well, I got, give me a couple more minutes, you know. But the next morning at 6 a.m., we had a flight to go back, you know, maybe at noon or something, but at 6 a.m., we were out in a hotel yard wrestling the team the next day. <laughs> and uh, so I had to start right then because so many things happened that was crazy that I couldn't waste a second. You know, and uh, it's it's... It's kind of like I watch somebody in a sporting contest and they had a poor performance and so they just let the, let the game or the, the match go. It's, it's over. Mm-hmm. So they just don't, don't try to win at the end. The coach doesn't try and his attitude makes the athletes don't try, especially in a team thing. But that's not me. Because now I gotta sleep on it. I gotta wait till I see something better in practice. So I would start right there. Even though we can't win, I'm gonna do something good right then. So I'm not gonna just throw the towel in and say, let's get out of here and we'll start tomorrow or something. I'm gonna start right then that night in that final match. You know, and so you know, there's 10 seconds to go and you can't, you know, you're not going to win the match or we're not going to win the meet, but you're going to do something. You're going to get a takedown. Whereas most people probably just give up and walk away, but you got to have something that's positive out there. And so that's why when that match ended, it had to start right then at that second in that locker room and then the next morning and then the rest of the year. What was the atmosphere at Gallagher like that? Oh, jeez. They had a lot of fun. They had an unbelievable lot of fun. And let me think if I, I don't can't remember exactly. Uh, let me think. Uh, that might have been the, I mean. It was 24 uh, to 6. So they, you guys only won one, maybe two matches. Yeah, I don't know how. We must have tied in one, one match. Might have been. Yeah. I think two points for a tie. And, and I don't know exactly, but. But anyway, maybe, who knows, but, but we didn't win much. <laughs> okay. Right. It was probably the worst loss I ever, I ever had, probably. And I wasn't even supposed to be the coach, and Coach Robinson probably wasn't feeling too good. <laughs> no. Because I really wasn't unofficially the coach that year. I was, I was unofficially, he was, it was, we never really put it down in writing. He just said, this is your responsibility. But, uh, no, I happened to feel that that was probably one of the best nights in Stillwater history and wrestling for 
kicking Iowa's butt or any team just dominate from it just steamrolled and uh, it was it was unbelievable but uh would you see that match with John and Mark there <sighs> it was only the third match so I had no idea that it was going to continue for the 42, 50, or whatever the right six more matches. I mean, I've said, I mean, that was like, that didn't happen. I mean, Trezano's going to win this. I mean, he just came out and foot swept the guy. You know, he had a move on, I don't know how he could foot swept John Smith. I think he did, though, probably early in the match, but. He was up 5-1 in the third period. But, but, you know, John Smith doesn't tie up. Well, he shouldn't tie up because when he did, has tied up, he hasn't done so good. So it was one of these early years for John Smith. So he was still learning, but he learned quickly. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, I remember uh, Trezino. I was more focused on Trezino probably mm -hmm. than John Smith at that particular time. And it was his first time down at weight all year. Um, yeah. No excuses. <laughs> Perfect. And so yeah. that year, Tommy Chesbro had gone undefeated two years in a row, including 84. They finished the year um, number one. You guys go into the 84 Nationals. You win the national tournament. And then Roderick decides to fire Chesbro. What was your reaction to C replacing Chesbro? My reaction was, Wow. These guys are serious business down there. It's serious business. And uh, I really had been at Iowa for quite a few years now, you know, six, seven years as a head coach, something like that, and had a lot of winning under my belt. And I, I'm going to thank them because, you know, I was just getting pretty much normal raises every year for winning national titles back in those days. No, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah, I believe you know, you might get two, three percent for government raises, but no bonuses were involved, and so you're winning national titles. Then all of a sudden, Myron Roderick, and me and him had a relationship. He helped me a lot with my Olympic wrestling, but before that, you know, was he? I was a competitor at Iowa State, and so it wasn't that way. But once I became an Olympic wrestler, and he was in that role of authority. Uh, helping Olympic wrestling at uh, the USWF or something, mm -hmm. something like that. He, he actually helped me. I lived at his house for a, while, a few days at Roderick's house. Wow. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. But, but uh, Roderick uh, called me and offered me a deal that was like, how, you know, how can you, you can't refuse it, you know? And, and, uh, but I took, it, I took it home to my family first and I knew it wasn't going to happen after I had a discussion with my family. Uh, the word got out a little bit. It made headlines in the Columbus, uh, uh, Ohio State Columbus paper uh, across their sports page. It, it had me and it had an oil well. I don't know how it got, got there, but it was good ink for wrestling. So is this during the time where he's like, all right, Chesbro, you're out. Before he gave it to C, he called you and offered you the gig during the same yeah. time? Yeah. Wow. I got three times what I was going to get. He, he offered me three times. But, you know, I don't know Roderick that well. And it wasn't, a, you know, it was just him verbally. And uh, so I was getting ready to fly down to have 
an official visit or interview or whatever it was. And my wife said, you know, if you go down there and you take this job, you know, every once in a while you can come home and visit us. Wow. <laughs> so I knew right then it wasn't going to happen. So I, I canceled the trip. Mm. I canceled the trip. But it was like I, told, I started to tell you earlier, you know, it helped me in the long run because wrestling wasn't, and I don't think a lot of the minor sports were getting, I don't know, I shouldn't call them minor, sure. but, but, but basically football and basketball at that time was probably the majors and you got everything else is under that. You know, we didn't get any, like, uh, anything for bonuses for anything. And the AD called me in because he, the word gets fast when it's in the Columbus paper and stuff like that. And he said, he goes, you know what? I'm going to give you a $25,000 raise. But I'd already, had he heard my wife's conversation, you know, he knew I wasn't going to go, but... I think he probably already knew it anyway, but he just did it because he probably looked at my record and said, this may help him out. So, you know, that was, I got a, I, I got a, a first raise after, I think it was how many national titles, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84. So it has seven national titles in a, in a row. <laughs> it's like, what's it take to get a race around here, you know? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So... Chesbro is out, big news in, in Stillwater, especially since Joe C was a California guy coming in. Baker, um, Bakersfield, right? Yep, exactly. Doing, doing great, yeah. Yeah, really good. Yeah, doing great, yeah. Um, and so John's sophomore year, he has a battle with Greg Randall at Carver-Hawkeye. He got hurt. Tell us about it. Well, that night was... A bloodbath. Yeah, because I think two or three of the guys went to the hospital that night. They spent the night or got had to get checked out. I don't know what our guys had that night, but they, they had a lot. And uh, so it was, um, well, he got, th Randall had a good whip over, and he had a hip toss on the edge of the mat and threw uh, John Smith on his shoulder, if I remember right. And uh, he had to finish the match right there. I think we might have got some points, too, before that, but uh, on that throw. But, but, you know, he just wasn't able to uh, come back, and he... he uh, but he, I don't think he missed too much, maybe a month or three weeks or something like that. So it wasn't like a major injury. But uh, I think he beat Randall in the, uh, the Nationals that year then. In the in semis. A, yeah. That was the only match in college that John never finished. And so, you know, and that's to your point. It was three weeks left. It was at Carver. And this year, you guys, in 85, you smoked him. So some payback from 84. John has the injury default, and he separated his shoulder with only three weeks. So that was the next year, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was in 85. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And so, I mean, from one extreme to the other. I mean, right. And in wow. between that, all the 84 Olympic stuff happened. So there's a lot of bad blood. At Carver, you guys smoke them. John gets hurt. And then in the semis at the Nationals, I'm getting chills talking about it, John and Randall met in the semis at the National Tournament that year, three weeks after the separated shoulder. When was the Nationals? 85, I'm not sure. Yeah. But, um, but John beat him by one. I think it was in Oklahoma. Wow. Yeah. Um, I believe. So at that point, had John bubbled up on your radar as like a competitor, like a real elite competitor? Or was it the Goodwill Games until he got your attention? I don't think he got my intention. Well, I mean, he had my attention because uh, right now that's the second Smith. Mm -hmm. Isn't it? The second, mm -hmm. yeah. And 
so, you know, already knowing Leroy, going through all the other stuff, you know, you know and I, to be honest with you, how I feel about a lot of the stuff, this incident with Leroy, brought John Smith up several notches to where he became who he became. Things drive people. And I, I think it hurt him, and he saw things that can happen out there, one way, whether it's good or bad or whatever, and he says, I, I'm not, I don't want to go through that. And it drove him to being six straight world and two Olympic titles, four straight and two, you know, I mean, and a couple of national championships or two. two. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I think his level jumped a lot because of that. But then for me with John, I knew there was heat. And of course, I'm competitive too. And I want my guys to win. And, you know, I, I love the atmosphere that night. Not that John got hurt or that we had, I didn't even know later another guy would go to the hospital, but, but it's just the fact that great competition, great matches, people going crazy, you know, you thrive off that stuff. But, but I think it is the Goodwill Games, to be honest with you, where me and John really came a little bit closer and that I realized, because I, I, I didn't think John was at the level of what he turned out to be at that particular time. Well, he wasn't probably, but when I saw the Goodwill Games final match, it's one of maybe three matches in my career that I've coached that when the match was over, and by the way, the USA won every one of them, the matches that I'm talking about, one of three in my life that the opponent couldn't walk off the mat. And John Smith and his opponent, the Russian, I believe, mm -hmm. I can't think of his name right now. Zayev. And he was a good one, that he was so exhausted that he had to be carried off. And <laughs> instead of taking him away, they just put him down on the side of the mat, back about 15, 20 feet. And he was there for the next five matches. <laughs> he didn't get up. And you know, I think Desik and the Iranian, and uh, I think uh, there's, an, there's a couple more that, uh, uh, that I, actually one more, and then I, I think I know, I think I saw another one with, uh, that I remember a Russian, when they just, they, they, when they're done, they get beat, they are spent, they gave everything they had, and if they can walk off the mat, no, they probably have to be helped off the mat, and then they lay down, and they're still there at the end of the meet. It might be five more matches. So John Smith was one of the, a guy, he was laying there that long. He just couldn't move. They just, I think, I think some guys came over and kind of drug him off a little bit further and get him away from the, the mat, but that's impressive, you know, and I, you know, it, it stays in my mind, and, and that might have been, uh, I'm pretty sure that was uh, probably the second one that I saw. I think the first one I might have saw was uh, Stan Desik's with the Iranian. I got it right here for you. So I knew, I knew that that match stood out to you, I didn't know why. Um, here is 
Here's just a, a couple clips of John in that Goodwill Games match. Second period, 136 and a half pounds. Coach Dan Gable just spent a minute with his athlete. I'm sure telling him to keep the action, keep the pressure, zero to zero. Very unusual to see an international match with no points scored in the first period. Generally, one of the wrestlers will be called for cautions much more than one time apiece as happened in that first period. Nice single leg attack there by John for the United States. They looked good in their last two matches, a dual meet competition yesterday and the day before, but had a bad start. And I'm Whoa. sure they'd like to have a big win, but Asaya for the Soviet Union spins around behind. No control. Oh my gosh, that was quite a quite a scramble there where he didn't get taken down on a goal behind. Bad shot. Great move by Smith. Wow. That was down blocking with his head and he could have stopped, but he didn't. Wow. He's only up by one too. Mm -hmm. But it's one one right now. Wrestled a lot better after that and have been looking pretty good in this individual gold medal quest, particularly John Smith here at 136. In on a single leg again, takes him down, himself, mm. Olympic champion, mm. nine national titles for Iowa. Heck of a coach. He's in your corner, you gotta have that great support. Wow. You that great support. There's a turn. Asayev turning back in to try to counter. John wow. Smith, United States gets two. Yeah. So that's the match. Yeah. Um, is that about how you remembered it? I don't remember. I know. I remember it was a tight, tough match, but I only remember Asayev, is that his name? Yeah. After the match and how exhausted he was. That, to me, when you win those matches that they can't even walk off or if they crawl off and they just lay there forever, I love that. <laughs> I just love that. And it's, it's been two or three Russians and... Uh, and an Iranian that's, that the Americans had beaten. And those matches are my type of matches. And so John Smith has one of those. And that opened my eyes with John Smith right to that match. Because I don't know if... What's funny is he still had eligibility left. Oh, plenty of it. Two years left. Yeah, and he took a year off. But he hadn't won a national title yet. So he maybe was an All-American. Yeah, so he, at that so he point, didn't place in the first year. Right. Got beat by Jim Jordan his sophomore year. Then he redshirted. But then the Russellback he got beat too, I think. Yeah, he lost to Jordan in the finals. Oh. His sophomore year. He beat, because he beat Reynolds in the semis. Okay, no, he must have been the year before. No, he got beat in the first round, or the second round, and his guy lost. Right. Okay, that's back. how it goes. Okay, that's yeah. how it goes, yeah. But to your point, at, in 86, he redshirted. And kind of went in this hibernation mode and really got hyper focused on perfecting the low single. Mm -hmm. Then he kind of had his coming out party was. Oh, John Smith was not the same wrestler after he took that year off. And a lot of people, when they take a year off, they take a year off. He didn't take a year off. He utilized the year, and so that's bad terminology. I want to take a year off. You're not really taking a year off. You're taking that year to make yourself what you want to be. And when you do that, and John Smith's the greatest, probably the number one example that I've seen, the improvement in a year off, you know, they call it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a different guy after that. Well, here's what John says. He says, after he won the Goodwill Games, you and Dave Schultz praising him gave him the confidence to move forward. And that was like one of the first times where you guys, you know, had something Whew. going. Finally. experience from winning that tournament uh, and then listening to um, 
listening to Coach Gable's remarks and listening to some of my teammates' remarks really fired me up. Like saying, hey, you're good. You know, and you hear that from Coach Gable or you hear that from Bruce Bumgarner, you hear that from Dave Schultz or, uh, you know, those are the things I, I got a chance to hear at, at you know, mm. was 19 years old, you know, 20, 19, 20. Um, you know, it just, okay, I'm here. He's, you know, I didn't, you know, you don't know that he's thinking that, but I knew that John Smith was a different guy from then on after that, you know, on that trip. So you just, you look back at your career, and I think we both are agreeing, you know, that trip for him, that win in that Goodwill Games started him being who he was as far as being the great wrestler as compared to being another national champ <laughs> or maybe even another world champ, you could say it from him, because when you get four of them, you know, and six in a row, mm -hmm. uh, we both are on the same page on that one, exactly. Crazy. Now, yeah. the, my favorite part about this story is that in 87, he wins the Nationals, he wins his world title, but in 88, Randy Lewis, the old dog, comes out of retirement, weighing 163 pounds, and cuts down to John's weight, right? And so in 88, Randy Lewis and John wrestled at Topeka, and Randy beat John. And he was like 15 over the day before, why did Randy come back in 88, in your opinion? Well, Randy is a competitor. And there might have been something missing a little bit from the 84 games that he didn't like. The Russians, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't go to 80. They didn't come to 84. 88 was the first true Olympics in wrestling for everybody in the world that uh, got together. And uh, so, and Randy, you know, Randy could have been a, a good coach, and I think he tried to, but he didn't really become a full-time head coach. He was like an assistant. Didn't get to use what he could actually give. And... So he, and he never stayed long enough. So he just kept wrestling. It's a little bit like Dave Schultz in a way that I'm kind of a wrestler for life. I don't know. I mean, I think Dave was. Mm -hmm. Randy was it was that kind of it was that kind of way uh, in him too, except Randy maybe got a little bit heavy and got a little bit out of shape. Maybe partied a little bit too much. Uh, and as compared to you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna wrestle, you're gonna have to stay in there. It's I think about a few Russians in my day that I saw them go from one weight, 180, they won the worlds, and then they went up to uh, 198, and they won the worlds, and and then they went up to 220 and got second. Well, it's gonna catch up with you eventually. Mm -hmm. You know, even though you're really good, uh, you just uh, you know gotta stay in there and, and still be fit to the point where you can be at your best. But I don't think that bothered Randy. You know, he still went out and competed. But sometimes he just might bite a little bit too much of a piece off. His confidence allowed him to do that, though. You know, to Right, exactly. Incredible. 
How would you describe his style compared to John's? <laughs> I can tell you right now, John Smith needs to stay in his low singles and his ducks and his high crotches. And uh, Randy Lewis uh, could do all the throws. When it was nice that Randy learned somewhat of a, you know, of a shot just because he could actually sneak one in on a good guy because nobody thought he was going to shoot probably. Mm-hmm. And I saw that happen before. So he, was, he actually worked hard enough to get a decent one, but not the kind that if, if a guy was really ready that you, would probably, you could probably stop. But, uh, but John's the same thing. Every time I saw John touch somebody's upper body and, and look like he wanted to get into, not a throwing match, but just mess around there, it didn't work so well. And anytime he's been in trouble, uh, it was John. Anytime he got in trouble is when he got out of his uh, positions that he really likes. And that was low singles and, and high crotches and ducks and, and, uh, and the top position, top position. And Lewis was great in the top position too. So they had things that worked really well for him, but they needed to pretty much stay in there. Uh, especially with Lewis because he, he kind of had a tendency to get into some high-scoring matches, but the other guy was scoring a lot too. Not Smith didn't do that as much. You know, more lower scoring, you know. Of course, one-point takedowns is a mm-hmm. big difference now. There'd be high, more high points, but uh, but they both had down what they could do really well, and they both had a lot of confidence. Do you remember the throw that Randy hit him with? I got it right here in this match. John was winning, like, at... Well, did he, uh, how, well how, why did John get there? That's the first. That, I mean, I got to see. I gotta, that's what I want to see. I want to see if John kind of waited in there or did actually Randy s- sneak one in on him. You know, we'll see. This will be interesting. Okay. All right. I remember I was there watching. In Topeka, yeah. you were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he stuck with his low single coming up. Nice takedown between the legs. First scoring sequence. Uh, Oh, nice little high crotch fireman's. Yeah, he made a mistake. Leroy made a mistake. He locked his hands upper body. He was down on his knees and came up and locked his hands. He had no business being there. <laughs> he had no business being there. John said he just he was just stubborn. He wanted to, wanted to give it a go and yeah. Well, you don't give it a. You don't do that. Especially in the Olympics. Yeah, you can do it in practice. What the heck? Yeah. So yeah. what did you see there for people who couldn't watch that? I saw John Smith winning the match. I don't know, it was only 2-0 or something. Mm-hmm. Two one-point takedowns. And a throw is probably two points or three points in that day. And got a little um, confident. 
And because he got out of uh, his zone, got into the area of uh, Randy Lewis, it was an easy score there. <laughs> I mean, as soon as he came up, he got thrown, you know. Wow. Yeah, so you, that just shows you you got to stay where you're good at, you know, when you start, especially with a guy that's a good wrestler or a good sport guy. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah, I, I thought maybe I was going to give Randy some credit for maybe pulling him up and locking him up. But he, he was on his knees and he locked his hands. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. That's John Smith. Right. I mean, he was already good then. Already a world champ. Oh, no. He hadn't lost in 130 <laughs> matches before that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, that just shows you you got to stay with the basics. Pretty much from the yeah. Goodwill games until yeah. that, he hadn't lost. Wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, good. how much do you think of the 84 stuff was lingering when John and Randy wrestled? Or was it their own thing because they were both so good on their own? Ah. Uh, I mean, I, I think it was 85 or 86, it would have been more, I think there was more respect at that time. Uh, I don't think there ever wasn't respect for Randy Lewis on the Smith part, and I don't think that Randy Lewis ever did not respect anybody from the Smith side either. It's just one of these things that an organization throws in some rules like we've never had before and all of a sudden somebody challenges on a rule that oh, maybe I got a shot at here because I, we didn't have this. And then all of a sudden, 24 other people followed. We had like 25 protests. I know. Everybody protested. I mean, it was a learning experience and I don't think we ever did it again. I mean, now it's right there, mad side, and that's the way it should be. But I mean, Lewis wasn't gonna win a rematch right after he won a match when he and, and if it was two out of three yeah he would probably he could have a chance because he'd get ready but if they are take making him wrestle something that he doesn't believe in mm-hmm. he he couldn't win that way he did that one he did that when Leroy got hurt in 82 yeah up to Edmonton yeah I mean he was in the finals and he come back and he, he's not in the finals and Lewis He's such a mentally tough wrestler that he can't get up for something that he doesn't feel is is was right, and that's that's a weakness a little bit. And uh, but when it, but there, it's it's quite of a, I was just happy to be able to coach John Smith in the Goodwill Games and have something like that happened because had he not won. Had he not done very well, and me being the coach, you know, might not have resonated like it did. And somewhere things have to start and heal a little bit. And uh, it usually is a cause because of good things happening. And the last thing in the world is um, you have 12 Smiths (laughs) that are upset with one Gable. Or, you know, maybe you got a few more gables, mom, dad, you know, at that time. But that's, that's about it. But uh, uh, we just, you need things in wrestling that bring us together. And when we, it was like when we dropped the Olympics here a few years ago. 
we had to rely on a lot of things mm -hmm. and people in the world and people come out of nowhere and the girls wrestling was already doing pretty well and that was helping us mm -hmm. and, and so things had to fall together pretty good to be able to to win those type of yeah. battles now with all that in the backdrop i want to shift to pat for a little bit okay pat 1990 he breaks on the scene they pull him out of red shirt and he actually gets pinned by dan russell on his first match yeah i remember um what do you remember about Pat coming on the scene as a freshman? Well, they pulled him late and he got pinned the first match, right? So, you know, I'm probably thinking that was a good thing from a team point of view, you know. But I should have, I probably underestimated who I was looking at too. And I maybe it wasn't just Pat that I was looking at. You know, I was look, you, know you look at Mr. Leroy Sr. and you look at the, the family and you look at, uh, Leroy Jr. Then you got look at John, and now you got Pat. You I mean there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot there that's this kid's gonna be able to go to, and not just get help, but just maybe the pride factor, even whatever it is that's needed. So uh, I probably underestimated. Uh, I figured I probably looked and saw that he got pinned the first match, and oh well, well, no big deal. No big deal. He has a win in the National Turtle Tournament not very long after that. So, but my Pat Smith story is not really the story, but and I don't know what year. So, when we had the Nationals here with Tom Ryan in the finals. Oh, don't you worry, sir. We got it right here. Okay. 1991. Okay, so I don't know how many titles he had. One. Okay, he only had one. Yeah. He's a sophomore. And Tom Ryan, this is his first year starting for you, but he had beaten Pat at the St. Louis Open as a redshirt, and mm. that's what earned him a scholarship from you, he said. Mm. Well, I think what earned me the scholarship for him was the brands, giving him a really, for some reason, I recall Tom Ryan maybe coming here as a high school in a camp. I, don't, I didn't know it, but the brands said they were in his group and that he said he, wow he's worked really hard and he was this and that so i just took the, the brands as a word you know for that when he was wanting to come here i don't think i went out and recruited him real heavy but because i think he had his mind made up that he was going to come here but uh, uh but that match was the most powerful match and again, it still had to do, I don't, we, it wasn't totally healed. It, it'll never be totally healed. But, you know, you, you do a lot of things to show that both sides are good people. And that heals. And because there's, there's a sport there. And, uh, but I know going into that match, between Leroy and, and what happened with him and what was going on with uh, John, you know, all his fame. Uh, there's just a competitive edge there that makes you more competitive. And I don't know if it made Tom Ryan more competitive because I didn't really bring that, none of that stuff up. But, you know, it's like, I gotta win this match, you know. I gotta stop this kid. You know, he's a, wins as a freshman. This is a good time to stop him right here. 
And it was one, it was honest to God, I coached hard, the hardest I ever coached in a match was this match in my career. Why do you say that? Because I was working every second in the corner as a coach. I mean, beyond normal work. Mm -hmm. I was above and beyond and have this close to having blackouts. <laughs> That's how hard I was working. In fact, when it was over and we're walking together, usually you have to help your, 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 uh, your student athlete because he's pretty tired. And he, was, he was tired, but he was still determined and mad. And, and, but I was, every step, I had to talk myself out of falling down the hallway of Carver, that, that little uh, yeah. walkway with Tom Ryan because I was totally exhausted. And it was like I wrestled the match. And it was just, I think it's just the competitiveness in you. And you were winning the whole, almost the whole match until the last 20 seconds and got beat. So, And again, it was just, it was more than that Pat was going for his second title. It was all those other things. All of it layered on. Yeah, forever since... You know, I mean, I, since I got involved with Leroy, probably on that 83 trip. But I was great with Leroy then, you know. But, but I mean, Leroy getting second it wasn't a win, but it was a movement forward for him. Mm -hmm. And for me as a coach, too, because I don't think a lot of guys thought he was going to get a silver medal, probably a medal, especially in a, in a communist country. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the this is the end of the match, and I love this is probably one of my favorite finals matches. What did Joe see? Telling Pat Smith, stay low, stay focused, and once again you go back to your basics, your bread and butter, and that is that Smith low single. You always want to have an option, but when it gets down to crunch time, you want to go back to what works best for you. And Smith is in on that low single. He's got Ryan down. That should be a takedown right there. That should put him up seven. You know what, though? The two stories that you don't know here. Maybe you have. Did you know them? I've heard. Yeah, okay. The headgear pull. But that, that Tom Ryan was, and you can't see it there, but he had done a great match. He, I don't think he was in on a single leg the whole match. I mean, that's what the Smiths go, no, are known for. Mm -hmm. But he was really focused. But Tom Ryan, with maybe 25 seconds to go, told me this, that I'm, all of a sudden, his focus went from the match to, I might win this match. I'm going to win this match. I wonder how much time's left. And so his eyes went from there to there. And, he, and when he said, when I did that, Pat Smith got in on my single. Wow. I asked Pat about it. I said, you know, his, Tom Ryan told me that he took his concentration off the mat and, and looked over with his eyes to see how much time's left. And at that exact same moment, you shot and got in for the first time pretty much in the match and scored. 
And, and Pat Smith looked at me and said, you know what? Before I shot that shot, I said, there's about time for one more shot. And if I don't get this shot, I'm losing. So he happened, to, the way I look at it, is he happened to shoot at the same time that Tom Ryan was looking at the scoreboard. That's kind of, and it could be that way, or it might be not, totally. But that's the way I take it as a coach. And so the focus really was 25 seconds too, too early for Ryan. And actually, he hit him at the perfect time. It's almost like, it's not fate, it's more like, what? You know, it's like karma or something. But it's really crazy when you, when, when I had talked to one and then I talked to the other and they both gave me that, those answers. I mean, as a coach, you go back and you, you can use that a lot for future. So, but, but no, that was a perfect shot. But I, but I didn't realize, every other shot when he shot, we were down blocking and he didn't get our ankle. And he got it perfect. I mean, he not only got it, he got his head to the far side. He went down just like that because he hit the perfect shot. And you know, when a guy's not looking, <laughs> it makes a lot of difference. So it's, it's pretty amazing that, you know, and that match took a lot out of me. But the it also... The that night must have been insane. It was. At Carver, I mean, yeah. you versus your nemesis. You guys had won your first national title. Brands of beat freed. It's like, let's go. Yeah, but we had we had some. Let's see. So that year was, what year was that? Ninety one. Ninety one. So yeah. So we had some tough matches that night, too. I mean, we had some good matches with Tom Brands. Ryland. Ryland. Ryland saved the night because we had five guys in the finals and three of them had lost out of four. Zapital maybe? No, Terry lost uh, the guy from Nebraska. Yeah, but Zapital lost too. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Zapital yeah. lost, and then Terry Brands lost. So that's 0 for 2. Then we lost, so then we had a little bit of reprieve. But then Steiner lost. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, Tom Ryan. Tom Ryan lost. So it was not being a good night. Somehow Ryland saved my... I mean, I, I would have been crushed. But, you know, that uh, reach back, pin and uh, Ohio State guy. But Randleman. Randleman, yeah. UFC fighter. So that really gave, not just me, but gave our fans a chance to walk away feeling, thrill, for, for, you know, pretty good. Yeah. Two out of five, that's not great. But four losses would have been, would have been horrible. And I don't think Tom Brands' wins probably was that easy either. Oh, God, no. no. Yeah. Free to him battled. <laughs> yeah. Battled. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a crazy night. But, uh, but uh, hey, when you think about it, how many times that was my team's in the position to do stuff like that, it's amazing, you know? Yeah. Even though here I am talking about, let's win all 10, you know? Yeah. I think we did win five a couple times, but I mean, but it's just that's that's John Smith, you know. I mean, John Smith goes goes in this goodwill games thing, and he comes back a new man. I mean, 
it's you don't know what's going to make you. But you know, he did the right thing. He took a year off, went on that trip, got some confidence. You're right. Came the six-time straight champion. Nobody's done that in America. What about Pat Smith's four in a four? Where does that rank? Oh. Well, you know, I can't get over the one that he beat us. So, you know, so that's uh, that's hard for me to even go beyond. But no, he. I don't know how many times he lost in those four years. I know he said he lost the first time. He only lost his freshman year. He lost five matches his freshman year. Five matches, and he still won the national. He lost twice to Russell, back-to-back days actually. He lost to Russell in a dual meet, and then at the Portland State Open the next wow. day. And then he lost to some guy from Iowa State, Hamilton or Hampton? Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton. Then he lost a duel, caught a couple of duels, but he was still the number one seed going in with five losses. Kidding me? No. Wow. And then he didn't lose after that. Yeah, so that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you think about, uh, like I've looked at my lineups and I've had pretty good brothers. I've had the, the Bannocks, uh, the Brands. The Brands are probably the most credentialed when it comes to the world and Olympic titles. But uh, I've, had a little, I've had so many, I've had probably a dozen brother acts and I've never had more than two. I've had three and four acts. No, I've had three on the team, I believe, at one, not, well, not at one time, but, you know, three uh, Kaufmans, I think, maybe, or something like that. But, but, um, but they, you know, they didn't go to the, the world and Olympic level, or they didn't become national champs. But the Bannocks did, the Brands did. But, you know, the Smiths, they got to be, they got to be in a category by themselves with four. You know, and uh, you, you could say, that, well, the fourth one didn't quite get to that national championship title, world title, Olympic title. Ah, he was probably worn out. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably worn out with all the brothers winning. I know. You know, and, what, and, and then trying to keep up there. But, you know, he did a good job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, um, yeah, I'm, he, uh, I'm, I'm still competitive with him. Yeah. Because in my last collegiate tournament in 97 at UNI, I had a string of 23, I believe, straight matches going on Friday winning. And we were going for in the wrestlebacks. And he stopped. And he was, I think he was supposed to win, I think. He was mm-hmm. number one seed, maybe. But he stopped my kid, Ursuline, the round before you place. So it kept Ursuline out. But Ursuline had scored a lot of points for us. And he wasn't even supposed to be there based on the rankings and all that. But in that wrestle back that night, uh, Mark Smith beat Tony Ursuline to uh, stop the string of 23 matches in a row that we had that day. And, uh, or maybe even part of a Thursday part or something. Thursday yeah. too. So, uh, you know, it was one of these things that, yeah, M. Smith, boy, I'll tell you what, they compete hard against Iowa and Gable. So it's uh, never forget that stuff. And they'll never forget their parts either, I'm sure. Here's the last one with Pat Smith for you. So I don't know if you remember this. Pat Smith's senior year, 
John is the head coach. They're ranked number one. They end up winning the Nationals in 94. Senior night that season was at Gallagher against you guys, and you pulled Joe Williams at a red shirt in his first ever match was mm-hmm. against Pat Smith. Oh, yeah. Wow. Did I underestimate uh, a couple things? I really, people think I pulled out Joe Williams to help Iowa win the Nationals, which I did. But I didn't pull him out to get seventh place. I pulled him out for one reason, to get first place. I may have underestimated not Pat, but Joe, and his where his thinking and mentality was. I probably gave him too much. Now that I look back and, and analyze it, and I've done this for a long time ago, but but Joe, when he wrestled uh, in the Nationals that year against the guys that were highly rated, he didn't open up a lot. And so he definitely wasn't ready to go in there to be the champion that year. But I was, again, trying to win the team championship, knew, knowing that Oklahoma State's you know, really the favorite. And, but I really didn't see that in Joe, uh, that where he would be hesitant a little bit against not just Pat Smith, but kid from Michigan. Format. Yeah. That was the match that probably upset me the most. Uh, and just didn't realize that, that, I mean, I should have, but I thought his mind was developed more, but it wasn't. When you're talking about, you know, I'm from Illinois, Joe Williams was a phenom, maybe the best ever. He beat McElravey when he was in high school. Uh, so Joe Williams is a phenom. I can't believe he got tech fouled. But you think about, at the na- you're talking about the Nationals where Burmette beat him, he wasn't ready. Fe- rewind three months, you're at Stillwater in a hostile crowd right. against... Pat Smith, who's ready to rip someone's right. head off because he yeah. didn't, you know, he wanted to beat Iowa. It's yeah. his last match at Gallagher, and Joe Williams. Yeah, he got beat by Major, you said? Tech in okay. the second period. Wow. For like, like seven or eight takedowns in the first period, something ridiculous. I just couldn't believe it when I read about it. And then Alan Freed was telling me, he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, Joe got, and Joe was amazing, obviously. But yeah. Think of another three time national champ that got teched in their first year. Maybe it never happened before. Yeah, I, you know. Yeah, I know. I can't think of one, but, but yeah, Joe. But it was already too late. Yeah. I mean, I already brought him out. Oh yeah, you're at that point. You're done. But yeah. Now I'm fast forwarding my mind to how to get him more ready. Right. And I don't know if I had him ready, which I didn't, mm-hmm. because things just don't happen overnight, except for maybe a John Smith case when he, you know, won that match. Or a McElravey when yeah. he pulled him out the year before. Well. That didn't happen either overnight. No. But, but uh, and I don't think John Smith happened overnight either. But you, there's a time frame, you know, and that might have made a big difference to Joe Williams just getting beat that bad. He might have uh, come back. Well, he came back, won three titles. But, but um, you know, I didn't pull him out to get seventh. But, but uh, you know, he just wasn't ready for somebody that was that efficient and attacking all the time, and especially probably low ankles, where he, you know, it's pretty tough to come out of a low ankle shot uh, when a guy's good at a low ankle shot. And then who can, who can you look at? You can look at the Smiths, especially 
uh, John and Pat, and then you can look at the Sanderson's kale. I mean, that's they're, they're, that was their bread and butter. I mean, I mean, it's just a move you just don't have a lot of counters to. Right. You know, because you're at such a, a a position that the other guy really can't do a whole lot if you if you don't just hang on to the ankle if you go to your finishes. Right. So yeah. So that's, I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit to wrap wow. up the pet segment. You know, just so yeah. many connections. And yeah. we didn't talk about 88 when Joe beat, or John beat Melchiori in the finals. You know, that was another uh, you versus John Smith. It's yeah, like, I just, um, well, you know, but the Melchiori was an Oklahoma Stater. Right. I believe. Wasn't Oklahoma he? Sooner. O- Oklahoma Sooner, yeah. He transferred up from there. Yeah. He saw the Nationals here and he was in it and he just was impressed with our place, I guess. Yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, Melchiori. But, uh, yeah, but. Um, well, let's, let's wrap up with this. Let's wrap up with the 84 situation. Because I just want to know, I've talked to everybody and anybody about it, of course, right? For Even for your documentary, we touched on it a little bit. My question is, why, why did Bob Dellinger not give Randy another, you know, because Randy won matches one and two. Leroy protested. They said you got to re-wrestle match two, and you got to re-wrestle match two now. And Randy had just got done running with a bunch of plastics on. He was tired. Bob Dellinger could have put the match the next day, but he didn't. And J. Rob. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I mean, so just what do you remember happening? I just even got arbitration. Because otherwise, we wouldn't have been on the. He couldn't have had a chance to. Leroy was. The guy. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so otherwise. It was over, wasn't it? They didn't, they weren't yeah. going to have any more matches. No, that was it. The tournament had ended. I mean, the tournament ended with Leroy as the guy. Yeah, they were done. They didn't have any more matches. They didn't have to go into any more matches, did they? Right, correct. Yeah, yeah so, so what was the question? What, just what do you remember about the arbitration and why, that whole oh. process? What I remember about it was getting a call from an arbitrator or somebody, not, not that arbitrator, but his office and was said that, that they were, that you needed to go to an, an arbitration. And I really didn't really want to. He said, well, we're going to subpoena you if you don't want to come, because then you have to come. Uh, and I don't know if it was it came from that. Well, I don't know the law, so I don't know if it was coming from yeah. uh, the subpoena or from the Lewis side. And uh, so I really didn't look forward to it, but I knew that there was a flaw in the system this year, and it was not a good one. And thank God we didn't hang with those for a long time. And like I said. Uh, it almost became a joke at, at at the site, where there were so many so many protests, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it was one of these things that this, the organization was smart enough to realize we don't want to get into this again. And then they figured out another wrestling figured out another way to be able to settle things right there, mad site, and it's much better, even though it sometimes stops the flow of the match, and mm-hmm. it's not good from that point of view. But why but, were you called in though, just to testify? Yes, and I, 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 here's what the question was, that I feel like 
was the big question. The question was, there was a protest form and you could fill one of those out if you feel that something happened in the match but on the form it said it's not you can't protest based on judgment you can only protest if you feel you there was a procedural yeah. error versus a judgment error. Right. Yeah. Yeah, whether it was maybe you had another minute in the match and they stopped your match a minute short. You know, so something happened and all the protests were on judgment. So uh, that, that, I'm a, that I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. And so when we went there, when the, I think the ruling basically, it said on the protest form, you can't protest if it's based on judgment. And I remember the, the, the judge or whoever, the, whoever was doing the thing asking, was it a judgment call? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a judgment call that reversed the decision. It was a gut wrench. It was a gut wrench that were, was given points to Lewis and then when they watched it later, they reversed it and gave it to Smith that gave him another match. But that's judge, it was a judgment call. It was a roll across the back. Mm-hmm. So it's whether the shoulders hit at the same time or they didn't or something like that. It's pretty much judgment. It was, it's hard to tell. Right. I mean. I've watched it. It is hard to tell. And it's like, for you, it's tough because you're the Olympic coach. This is the first year they had an Olympic, you know, a full-time coach, and that's why you were traveling around with the team. Mm-hmm. You were the national coach, so Leroy was the Olympian, but Randy's is like your son. You know, you pretty much brought him up. Did you feel conflicted throughout the whole process? Well, yeah, I hated it. Yeah, I, I absolutely hate it, and I still hate it to this day. Yeah. Even though I, <clears throat> probably some good became of it. I mean, <clears throat> probably drove John Smith to. The highlights of, of you know of being a better wrestler and and everybody else and I think it made our sport uh, go away from things and and even at the upper level where we went through it at the international level too where they had protests and rewatch and rescoring I mean I think Colot <laughs> you know that then finally they're they're doing it how they should be doing it now mm-hmm. Matt's side and and. Uh, even though they're not fun either, no, because you, it stops the flow and. I feel like you were unfairly targeted in this whole thing, and just like USA Wrestling and Steve Combs wrote you that stupid letter. It's like, what a disaster! I mean, just a really unfortunate thing. To your point, the Smiths have no animosity. To me, it's like Randy has animosity towards USA Wrestling more so than the Smiths. Um, right. And you were unfair. I feel like you were unfairly treated because, well, that's my point of view. Well, I appreciate that, but. There's always two sides, and you know Leroy was f- really close to uh, the museum. I think he w- I think he had a part-time job there working with Steve Combs. I mean, I didn't work with Steve Combs probably, but work, working at so you know there was just a lot of personal things. And Ra- and Randy was one of my kids, and 
not only was Randy, but you had Barry Davis and you had the two Bannock boys. So it was like, you know, all this Iowa flavor and the coach. And then you had uh, other coaches that I had as assistant and, and one of them was Jay and, you know, he was Iowa guy, you know, well, he was an Oklahoma Stater too, but, you know, he ended up up here. So there was just a lot of politics, you know, it's, politics isn't good. It's just like what's going on in the world today. It's, it's rough. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, for me to wake up in the middle of the night, the night before the Olympic start, and because there was a little knock and there was an envelope and me to read this letter, it, uh, you know, from the organization, you know, and it wasn't a good letter. But, uh, you know, I was still, I, I still, it, it, it probably cost one guy a gold medal in this particular tournament. My little kind of being a little bit not me at this tournament. I was pretty much me, but I wasn't in every in every case. So, so when Andy Ryan was going to the finals, I normally would have probably sat with him and another coach. But I was kind of intimidated a little bit, and I I don't I think I'm gonna leave I'm gonna put somebody else on the sideline, and I feel to this day that if I'd have been in his corner, he would have won the match. And he lost a tough match to, I think, uh, Japanese or Korean. And uh, you think it was anger or fear that you don't want to do more to get in trouble, or anger at the U.S. No, I, I think it was more like uh, enough's enough. I was, you know, we had done very well, and it was the last day. I can kind of back off. And you know what? You can't back off. When you back off, you lose. You know, for, unless you're unbelievably smart and know how to do things. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so that's why I felt like, you know, I did probably let one guy down there a little bit. But, I, you know, I don't think he holds it against me. But I didn't really, I wasn't really always his corner man anyway. It was kind of like I was going to probably take it. But and and wh and why why do I say I think he would have won because I think I would have gave him the advice in the corner that he needed because they were out to get him because because we had won too much yeah same way with Zeke Jones in in Atlanta back in whenever it was when yeah. Zeke got in the finals and he got beat or the semis or the fi finals I think they they just said America's won too much we got to give it to somebody else. And that's just sometimes how they think, and and uh, you can't take anything for granted, and you got to stay there uh, through the entire time if you want to get all the edges. Right. And so you know you learn something there, but how do you think it? You said earlier this morning that you're reading an article, getting ready for a conversation, and you're like, oh man, twelve Smiths hated me. Oh man, I just uh, that's right here. <laughs> it's uh, about. I was reading about Leroy Sr. a little bit, and he, had, he passed on this last year. Yeah. And I was, I was real happy that um, in my life, after the 84 incidents, that um, 
that Leroy Sr. and me end up uh, coming pretty close. Yeah. I don't think Leroy Jr., we never did really drift apart. And the same thing with uh, John, I think we were apart and then we, I think we became together. And I think we're, you know, even though there's still pain mm -hmm. uh, for him especially, I think, but, uh, uh, and I'm sure Leroy too, but, but I think there's more good than there's harm. Yeah, absolutely. The last thing I'll ask you is, you mentioned a cool story about 2000 when you and John were coaching together. Yeah. The Sydney Olympics. You want to share that story? Then we'll yeah. wrap up. Yeah. So it's pretty unusual to have three named head coaches. And I had been kind of shunned a little bit by uh, USA Wrestling. Probably goes back to 84. But then when I came back in 94, we didn't have a great performance. So, uh, but because I kept doing good things in the sport and my kids did good sports, they, you know, they come around and give you opportunities once in a while. So in 2000, I got to be a tri coach with John Smith and, uh, and uh, Lehigh coach. Oh, Strobel. Greg Strobel. Greg Strobel, yeah. So that's unusual, but. It was okay, and I think all three of us thought it was okay. So if all three of us thinks it's okay, it's okay. You know, if one of us doesn't think it's okay, then you're probably going to not work. But all three of us agreed to work together. And because we worked together on an Olympic team, even though we were kind of the named event coach at that time, and so... Uh, and maybe it was Strobel. Strobel, yeah. So maybe me and John were kind of assistant, but they didn't name us assistant right. coach. So we actually went in there, given being able to give some pretty good input, even though it wasn't the final input. Right. It was the, the full-time director uh, within there. So, but we got to work together, and I think that helped a lot. Because I can remember John Smith saying to me, during that time period, maybe after a practice or something when he watched me work, he said, wow, now I, I can see why you won all those titles, you know, and I can see why you're really a good coach, you know, and it just it, it really gives me the chance to watch you work, and, and I, it's, I'm, I'm, lear I'm learning a lot from you. And I was like, whoa, we have come a long ways. <laughs> we have come a long ways. If he's given me some credit for his coaching a little bit, and, which, and I remember him saying, you know, I, I struggled because I really coached a lot how I wrestled at the beginning. He says, you know what? Hardly anybody wrestles like me. <laughs> Not me, but him. Yeah, yeah. Low singles, you know, yeah, Kale. There's a few other guys. And he started, they started a good trend. A lot more people did it, but... Just like I said earlier, when he came out of that, Randy threw him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he had to stay in, in what he's good. But when, but when he said that, and, he, and, then, and then he adds, you know, I got to look at more of the individual, what they have and what they're good at. And so then when I teach what I'm good at to them, this is adding to what they're good at, but I'm going to keep them with what they're good at. He says, and he commented and, and uh, he actually it kind of said he had been doing that for a while and he said it was working a lot better. Wow. 
Yeah. He says that in like the beginning, he it was hard for him to be a coach because he had come from this selfish world of everything's about me, mm-hmm. the athlete, and you have to be very disciplined and very, as you know, very selfish. You're in your own world, and then all of a sudden you flip the switch and you have to be a selfless leader. It's a huge transition. It, I think it is for a lot of people. It wasn't for me. Mm. For some reason, all my teams, I think it was my coaches that I had, were, we were always in championship teams. And so it was really easy for me. And because I was almost always the leader of that championship team, I loved guys winning. You know, I mean, I, mean, I, was, I was helping them as well as even help myself. And most of it was just by example, but it was more than that even too. I mean, just making a, all of a sudden, like my senior year in high school, I cut down a weight. So Marty could run. Yeah. I mean, what about the why would I not make him cut down, yeah. you know? I mean, the Petersons are an example too. Yeah, they're good examples. I mean, pretty awesome. Dan Gable. Yeah. <laughs> what an honor it was to talk John Smith with you, sir. I appreciate yeah. it. Any last words on the Smith family? Well, yeah, I think they probably are the family when it comes to uh, what they've accomplished as brothers. And I'm not going to skip the sisters either because it takes a family to get all that out of you. And I can guarantee you when John was down about Leroy and the other people were down about Leroy and the family about not getting to wrestle in the Olympics, uh, they banded together. And uh, and that's what eventually came out. Look what came out of that. I mean, even more history, more history. And uh, so you can't, between the dad, the mom, the six girls, the four boys, and then, and then you got Mark Perry with one of the, the, the daughters coming up to Iowa. I mean, whoa. I mean, there's probably some animosity there, too. I mean, so I mean, that's probably another whole tape. Oh, but uh, we don't sure. want to go there because uh, I mean, there's been some crazy times, I bet, at the Smith's tables in, in their life and conversations about Iowa and the Hawkeyes, Gable and Perry. And, uh, but there's been so many championships that they got to take the crown. Crazy, they right? got to take the crown. It shows you just how much uh, their mom and dad did, you know, to raise 10 kids like that. And it's just, you know, they're all good people with good values. It's pretty impressive. And they, and they didn't start with wrestling. No. Yeah, the dad didn't. I think he was a basketball player, maybe. Football, I think. Football, Football and basketball. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't a, you know, yeah. but Oklahoma, you know, when you were growing up, Waterloo was the Creole wrestling. But they claimed that Oklahoma was the Creole wrestling at that same time. Right. Well. You know, they had a lot of Olympians out there. Mm-hmm. Um I'm especially just within the state, you yeah. know, and maybe Dell City and all them areas where. But but you're, yeah, it probably was the state overall because a lot of the Olympians were from OU in the early days, oh, okay. as opposed to OSU. But. Yeah. Hey guys, if you want to help us spread the word, please rate the episode and share it with your friends. The Smiths was written and directed by Ryan Warner. Executive producers include USA Wrestling and the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. A special thank you to the entire Smith family, Rich Bender and Leroy Smith.
Etched in Stone is an exclusive production of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame and USA Wrestling. Download your free souvenir book of any of the Etched in Stone stories produced at nwhof.org. The storybook includes the written story and is filled with pictures and videos of their live matches. And while you're on the website, take a deeper dive into the profiles of the 179 distinguished members inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame.